Amy Comey Barrett is nominated for the Supreme Court of the United States of America. As Election Day draws near, only two days away, a record number of individuals throughout the country have voted by mail, and we analyze those patterns throughout the country. And also, we look at private tech companies earning throughout the third quarter. I'm Eli Kelson. This is a Teenager's Guide to Politics. Alrighty, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And today we're just going to jump right into the content with Amy Comey Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. We're going to look at her stances on previous topics such as abortion, healthcare, and her religious faith, specifically starting with her judicial philosophy. When she was speaking in 2016 at a Jacksonville University Public Policy Institute, she told students, judges, she should not be appointed based on policy preference. Quote, we should be putting people on the court who want to apply the Constitution. In her opening statements on October 12th, she tied herself once more to the late conservative justice, Supreme Court Justice, Justice Anthony Scalia, who she worked for as a clerk. Quote, his judicial philosophy was straightforward. A judge must apply the law as written, not as a judge wishes it were. Sometimes that approach meant reaching results that he did not personally like. But as he put it on one of his best-known opinions, that is what it means to say that we have a government of law, not of laws, not men. She added that courts have a vital responsibility to enforce the rule of law, but they are not meant to solve every problem or right every wrong in our public life. Quote, the public decision on value judgment of government must be made by the political branches elected by and unaccountable for the people. Alrighty, her stances on abortion are for many, for many are her views on abortion are the late landmark of 19... 19- 73 Roe v. Raid ruling that has protected the procedure nationally and are at the center of the support or condensation of her nomination. She has not ruled specifically on abortion before, but she has reviewed two abortion restriction laws cases while on the appeals court. Judge Barrett voted in favor of a law that would have mandated doctors to inform the parents of a minor seeking an abortion with no exceptions. She also called for a state law that sought to ban abortions related to sex, race, disability, or life-threatening health conditions to be reheard. She was also one of the five appeals judges who argued that an Indiana state law requiring burial or cremation of fetal remains may have, be, may have been constitutional. She wrote in a, two, in a 2013 Texas Law Review article that the public, the, quote, the public response to the controversy cases like Roe reflect public rejection of the proposition that precedes that precedents can declare a permanent victor in a decisive constitutional struggle rather than desire that the precedent remain forever unchanging, end quote. Court watchers embrace the possibility of overruling even if they may want to be the exception rather than the rule. While talking about abortion in 2016 at Jacksonville University, Judge Barrett said she did not think abortion or the right of abortion would change. Quote, I think some of the restrictions would change, he said. The quote is, the question is how much freedom the court is is willing to let states have in regulating abortion. So on her precedent, Judge uh, Barrett's abortion views aside, perhaps the most important is the question of where she views precedents and what that meant for Roe v. Wade and other established rulings. Quote, does the court act lawlessly or at least questionably when it rules precedence, she wrote in a 2013 a Texas Law Review article. Quote, I tend to agree with those who say that a justice's duty is to the Constitution, and that is thus more legitimate for her to enforce her best understanding of the Constitution rather than a precedent she thinks is clear in conflict with it. 
Judge Amy Comey Barrett is a devout Catholic and has and has been asked about her faith as it relates to her work during past confirmation hearings. She has been asked in particular about a, 90, a 1998 article she co-wrote with a professor about Catholic judges. She wrote that Catholic judges are obligated by oath, professional commitment, and the demands of citizenship to enforce the death penalty, while also being obligated to adhere to their church teachings on moral matters. During her 2017 confirmation for the U.S. Appeals Court for the Seventh Circuit, Judge Barrett said she was vehemently believed that if there is a conflict between a judge's personal convictions and the judge's uh, duty under rule of law, that it is never, ever permissible for that judge to follow their personal convictions in the decision of a case rather than what the law requires. In the same case, she said she is a faithful Catholic, but stressed her affiliation would not bear in the discharge of her duties as a judge. Quote, I would decide cases according to the rule of law, beginning to end, and in the rare circumstance that might ever arise, I can't imagine one sitting here now where I felt that I would have some consciousness obligation to the law. I would rest, I recuse the judge, said. I would never impose my own personal convictions upon the law. While on health care, another major issue for voters is how Amy is how Amy Comey Barrett might rule on the Affordable Care Act, President Obama's landmark health care law that brought insurance coverage to millions. The Supreme Court is of, is to rule on the, legit, the legality of that law in November. In the 2017 Law Review essay, Judge Barrett criticized Jeff, Chief Justice John Roberts' 2012 opinion on the act's individual mandate, which imposed a penalty for anyone who did not sign up for the insurance. Quote, she wrote, Chief Justice Roberts pushed the Affordable Care Act beyond its possible uh, uh, meaning to save the statute. He construed the penalty imposed on those who without health care as a tax, which permitted him to sustain the statute as a valid exercise of the taxing power. He had treated the payment as the statute did as a penalty. He would have had to invalidate the statute as laying before Congress is Congress's power. Amy Comets Barrett's uh, Opinions on guns is one ruling on the right to bear arms we can re reference from judges, Judge Barrett's record, but it is a controversial one. Gun rights supporters have praised her 37-page dissent in the case of a man who pleaded guilty to mail fraud, served his time, and then challenged state law that barred him as a felon from owning a gun again, saying, History is a consent with common sense. She argued that the government can only prohibit individuals such to be dangerous from possessing guns. Quote, founding era legislation did not strip felons of the right to bear arms simply because of their stash status as a felon, she wrote. Nor have the parties introduced any evidence that founding era legislators imposed virtue-based restrictions on the right. Such restrictions apply to civic rights like voting and jury, jury service, not to individual rights like the right to possess a gun. Speaking about her dissent to students at Hillsdale College last year, Judge Barrett said, while it sounds kind of radical to say felons can have firearms, she found no blanket authority to take guns away from Americans without showing the individual was a danger. During her Senate confirmation hearings, Judge Barrett asked, she asked, and her family owned a gun. The killing of black American George Floyd sparked mass demonstrations across the United States and the world in 2020. Senator Dick Durbin asked Judge Barrett during the confirmation hearing whether she had been had seen the video of his death in which he replied, repeatedly told white officer Derek Chauvin, kneeling on his neck, that he could not breathe. Quote, as I have two black children that are very, very personal for my family, she said, adding that she and her 17-year-old daughter wept together in, many, in my room after the video became public. As a result, she said it was an entirely uncontroversial and obvious statement that racism persists in our country. However, as, those, as with other controversial issues, she was asked about 
this during the hearing. She refused to express her views on how she would rule on cases surrounding the issues. Those things are policy questions, hotly contested policy questions, she said. Well, she was about happy to talk about her personal experience, giving her views on how to tackle the issue of racism is beyond is kind of beyond what I'm capable of doing as a judge. Following a unanimous vote by the Judiciary Committee last week, the Senate just voted the voted confirmed Seventh Court Circuit Court of, of Appeals Judge Amy Coney Barrett to become the 115th Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Quote, having confirmed her to the Circuit Court in 2017 with bipartisan support, the Senate has already undertaken a thorough and rigorous re- review of her record, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas said after President Trump made the nomination last month. Throughout Judge Justice Barrett's career, she was faithfully upheld. Our U.S. Constitution is written. The American Bar Association gave Barrett its highest rating, and she has an impressive track record across the legal profession as a judge, professor, and litigator. Judge Barrett has made her philosophy clear. She will not legislate from the bench. Quote, courts have a vital responsibility to the rule of law, which is critical to a free society, but courts are not designed to solve every problem or right ever wrong in our public life, she said during her confirmation hearing. The policy decisions and values judgments of government must be made by political branches elected by and accountable for the people. One letter written by Judge Barrett's former law clerk called her approach principled and independent-minded. Judge Barrett taught us that a good judge will not always be the result as she reaches. A good judge goes wherever the law leads. Judge Barrett's is a very model of a sympathetic yet impartial judge, according to her colleagues at the Notre Dame Law School. She's exactly the type of person whom the American people deserve to be sitting on the Supreme Court of the United States. She then was confirmed by the Senate in a, a, entirely along partisan lines, except for the Republican senator from Maine, Susan Collins, siding with the Democrats, citing that her belief was to make, remain constant from the 2016 controversy surrounding the Republicans' attempt to block Obama's nominee, Merrick, uh, Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court eight months away from the election, and she said she cited that, that she will not maintain hypocrisy within her own conscience, and therefore the Senate passed along party lines a 52-49 majority of the Judge Amy Coney Barrett becoming the 115th Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Alrighty, with only two days until the election, tens of millions of voters have already cast their ballot, with turnout surpassing overall 26 totals in some places. President Trump and Democratic nominee Joe Biden are both headed to the Midwest, as both men are headed towards specifically Minnesota and Wisconsin, while Biden is also scheduled to stop by Iowa. Biden's lead in national polls stands a little more than around 6.3 percentage points as of this morning. According to NBC News, the Democrat also holds leads in several key battleground states, with some remaining close. Well, the controversy surrounding the election, the judge orders Postal Service to adopt extraordinary measures as mail ballot deadline approaches. At some possessing locations to ensure the timely delivery of mail ballots as election day approaches. U.S. District, District Judge Emmett Sullivan said he was ordering the measures in place where processing scores for mail ballots sent by voters were below 90% for at least two days from October 26th to 20, the 28th. The extraordinary measures referred to the USPS mandatorium set October 20th. They include extending retail hours in, de- in designated office locations, establishing a drive through ballot postmark or drop-off option, utilizing the express mail network, and more. The list of districts includes Alabama, Alaska, Atlanta, Central uh, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, Detroit, 
Greater Indiana, Greater Michigan, Greater South Carolina, Grandsboro, Grandsboro Gulf Atlantic, uh, Lakeland, Louisiana, Mississippi, and North New England, Oklahoma. There will be a hearing Friday at 5 p.m. on this case. As of Friday afternoon, more than 3.5 million requested ballot mail ballots have yet to be returned, according to the United States Elections Project. Mail ballot deadlines vary from state to state. Some Board of Elections require ballot receipts by Election Day, while others require ballots to be postmarked by November 3rd and received by a following case. So as the election day nears, Business Roundtable begins engaging with Biden campaign as, as the election draws near. The Business Roundtable has started speaking with Joe Biden's presidential campaign. The massive business advocacy and lobbyist organization has had a strong engagement with both the Biden campaign and the Trump administration, according to the group's spokeswoman. It's the latest example of the Biden team beginning to position themselves with business leaders as the former vice president heads down the final stretch of the 2020 election. Lobbyists with corporate uh, clients have separately been meeting with Biden campaign advisors. The group's members consist of more than 100 chief executive officers. Its chairman is Doug McMillan, the, the president and CEO of Walmart. Jamie Deman, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, are among the group's board of directors. The Business Roundtable did not say that they have spoken with the Biden campaign about, but they did not note if he was to win. They are looking to work with him on fighting the coronavirus epidemic. Quote, no matter who is elected to the White House and Congress, the most urgent and pressing need is to stop the spread of COVID-19 and ensure a safe and rapid recovery from the pot pandemic, the organization said. The group of CEOs previously called on businesses to stop solely focusing on serving their shareholders. With polls showing Biden leading Trump heading into the final week. Trump is lagging behind Biden in the polls, both nationally and in a series of crucial swing states with just four, uh, two days left to the campaign. Here's what the National Poll Tracker said on Friday afternoon. The NBC News national polling average had Biden up more than 6.3 percentage points over Trump of 51.6 to a 46.8 percent. Those numbers are based on unweighted averages of the of 10 most recent reliable public polling average. But what's interesting, if you analyze the same exact polls around the same time on November uh, 2nd of last year, Trump was losing 50% to Hillary Clinton to 38% of his own points. So he's actually made up quite a large uh, gap or disparity uh, from the Hillary Clinton campaign. But what's from what's Biden, though, what's interesting is that there hasn't been a presidential candidate in a long time that has actually broken the 52% uh, the 50% threshold from national polling averages. So while Trump has maybe made up a large gap in his percentage polls, Biden is so far maintaining, from what the polls have been saying, a majority of the voters. But what's interesting about the United States system of electing the president of the United States is that the Electoral College is not uh, solely Democratic and representative process where each individual vote counts. It's rather that the votes count towards the electors of each state, which are, which the electors designated to each state is the amount in the House of Representatives plus two electoral votes, which then gives essentially the ratio of vote, uh, voters to electors it's a larger and more voice, a louder voice in smaller states, which is Wyoming and Tennessee, while bigger states such as California and Texas don't get as big as voice. But that's how the system has been run, and I and personally don't have an opinion on which whether the electoral college should be abolished or should be kept. Anyways, I'm just pointing out the fact that you only need, technically, you only need a 23% task or 23% approval rating from the nation's population to be able to win the electoral college. So 
nothing's out of the window yet, I would personally say. The Real Clear Politics general election polling average showed Biden with a 7.8 point lead over Trump. 538's national polling tracker gave Biden an 8.9 point advantage over the incumbent. The president also trails Biden, though very by narrow margins, in a handful of key swing states that Trump won over the Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton in 2016. Polls of voters in Florida, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania show Biden ahead on average, according to RCP battleground tracker. Only one state on the list shows Trump and Biden tied, and that is Arizona. Other states are not usually considered swing states, such as the traditionally Republican-leading Georgia and Texas appear to be in play as well, according to the political ranking organizations. However, I wouldn't be too weary or too if I was a, if the Democrats were focusing on winning Georgia and Dem- and Texas as a strategy. I would not recommend that strategy because they're betting on a, a states that have voted for Republicans for the past. 50 years and if they begin to try to campaign in texas and georgia and lose focus of the key battleground states such as pennsylvania wisconsin um, florida and north carolina they could begin to start losing ground in their polls in those states but trump is making a full court press in his final week his campaign announced friday morning that trump will give speeches in more than a dozen of his signature rallies between saturday and monday in pennsylvania michigan iowa north carolina georgia florida and wisconsin However, multiple Pennsylvania counties will delay mail-in ballot counting. Prepare for a wait to hear who wins the uh, wins Pennsylvania in the 2020 election. At least seven of the Keystone State's 67 counties expect not to tally mail-in vo- ballots until the day after the election, according to NBC News. Two or more other con- counties could follow suit. All of the counties have confirmed plans to delay voting. Votes by mail have been registered have been more registered Republicans and Democrats. Local officials have cited that. The difficulty of both running election polling sites and counting votes by mail, NBC reported. Mail-in votes during the coronavirus pandemic have become a flashpoint in Pennsylvania, a presidential election prize with 20 electoral votes. Republicans say winning the state is as essential to President Trump winning another term. This, the GHB has pushed to slow or limit the counting of mail-in ballots as Trump trails Democratic Joe Biden in, in, Penn, in Pennsylvania polls. Potential delays in counting votes cast by mail, which are expected to skew Democratic, may open the door for Trump to claim victory before the states tally all ballots. The Supreme Court has declined to fast-track a challenge to a November 6th deadline for receiving absentee ballots in Pennsylvania. Trump is set to campaign in the final days before the election day, which he has in several states, which he has won in 2016 over the next few days, and one he narrowly lost. Trump is set to speak at rallies in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota on Friday. Michigan and Wisconsin helped deliver him a victory in 2016, while he narrowly lost to then-Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton by less than one percentage point. He's making several stops in Pennsylvania on Saturday, a swing state he won in 2016, but where polls have shown former Vice President Joe Biden leading. On Sunday, he's expected to return to Michigan and make stops in Iowa, North Carolina, and Georgia and Florida. On Monday, he'll return to Michigan, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin to visit several other cities, including Kenosha, Wisconsin, the site of a violent clashes in the wake of the police shooting of Jacob Blake, a black man who is now paralyzed from his waist down. But Joe Biden has a six-point edge over Trump in North Carolina. Joe Biden has several-point lead in the incumbent over the incumbent president, Donald J. Trump, in North Carolina, a swing state in the race for the White House, according to a new NBC-slash-New York Times poll. 
The same North Carolina poll shows Biden's fellow Democratic Cal incumbent with a 10-point lead in a Senate race against Senate Thomas Tillis, the one-term GOP incumbent. The poll suggests that Cunningham may have survived a scandal over sending sex sexual text message to a woman who is not his wife. Biden has the support of 52 of likely voters in the Tar Heel state compared to 46% for Trump, the polls show. The gap is within the polls' margin of error. Trump won Carolina by four points in 2016. The state has 15 electoral votes at stake on election day. Senator Kamala Harris, Democratic candidate Joe Biden's running mate, will travel to Georgia and North Carolina on Sunday, the campaign announced. Harris' scheduled visit to Georgia is the latest confirmation of the state's battleground status in 2020. Today has long been considered a Republican stronghold, but a growing young and non-white electorate has made the race for Georgia's 16 votes competitive this election. Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton by a 5% margin in 2016, but race averages show that Biden has a chance at winning Georgia. Excuse me. Harris will be also travel to Gillsboro and then Fayetteville, North Carolina, on Sunday. The swing state was crucial to Trump's 26th victory, and polling averages indicate a close rate in 2020. President Barack Obama and Democratic nominee Joe Biden will make two campaign stops together on Saturday in Michigan, a state that Republican, that Republican President Donald Trump won in 2016, but which is central to Biden's path to victory. Obama and his former vice president will hold driving rallies in Flint and later in Detroit, two majority black cities that have been deeply impacted by this that have been deeply impacted by the proposed structural racism. The Biden campaign choice to send the pop popular former president to Flint and Detroit underscores both his strategist belief that black urban voters are key to winning Michigan this year and Trump's and excuse me Obama's singularly prowess in mobilizing black voters. Detroit was one of the city's hardest hit by the subprime mortgage crisis of the late Audis and owing in part to lenders tendency to offer minority subprime mortgages even if they have the same borrow profiling income as white borrowers. Tens of thousands of homes in Detroit are foreclosed upon during the crisis and large swaths of the city poorer neighborhoods were essentially abandoned to blight. In Flint, a water crisis that began in 2014 when the city began using corrosive water from the Flint River still reverberates today with more than 100,000 Flint residents are exposed to toxic levels of lead from aging water pipes as of the 2020 efforts are still underway to replace the lead pipes. Only two days until the election, the electorate outlook is gloomy with more than 6 in 10 rate the economic conditions negatively and only about 2 in 10 think coronavirus is under control in the United States according to the latest New York Times National Survey of Likely Voters. In fact, just over half, 51%, say it is not at all under control, up from 40% in early September. When asked about whether the federal government should stop priority, voters are 25 points more likely to rank limiting the spread of coronavirus over the restarting of the economy. Who do voters trust to handle these competing issues? President Donald Trump is preferred on the economy just by one point, while more trusted Democratic candidate Joe Biden on coronavirus by 16 points. Biden's current advantage on coronavirus is double the eight-point edges he held last month. At the same time, Trump's edge on the economy declined by four points. Quote, the pandemic has complicated the president's plan to run for re-election on the economy, says Republican pollster Darren Shaw, who conducts the Fox News survey with Democrat Chris Anderson. COVID-19 is the dominant issue for voters, and they know Biden would do a better job. By a six-point margin, more pick Biden over Trump on handling Supreme Court nomination. Biden's advantage is unchanging since September before Amy Coney Barrett confirmation to the high court. In the head-to-head -head matchup, Biden leads Trump 
by 51 to 46 percentage points among likely voters. That's a bit higher than the race was three weeks ago when Biden led 53-43%. The survey released Sunday asked for a bask about several candidate tra traits and found over half thinking Biden cares about people like them, 56%, and is honest and trustworthy, 52%. For Trump, it's reversed, as the majority say he lacks empathy, 56%, and honesty, 60%. Notably, the president's honesty marks are identical to those he received just before he went to win the 2016 election. At that time, 37% of likely voters said Trump was honest and trustworthy, and 60% disagreed. Voters also said Hillary Clinton was dishonest, 33% honest versus 64% dishonest. This time, a 52% majority see the Democratic candidate as honest and trustworthy, 45% disagree. Writings of the two candidates more likely align on standing up for what he believes. 64% think Biden does, and even more, 68% said the same thing about Trump. When asked about the word corrupt to describe a candidate, 56% said it applies to Trump compared to 40% for Biden. Over half, 53%, think Trump is close to extremist groups, while 37% feel that that way about Biden. One Republican in five thinks Trump is corrupt, 19%, that he is too close to extremist groups, 20%. Among Democrats, about one in 10 think Biden is corrupt, 12%, and feels he is too close to extremist groups, 11%. Moving on to private tech stock companies' earnings of the third quarter. Despite a global pandemic, the biggest tech antitrust lawsuit in more than two decades and an escalating battle against accusations of censorship, Google is doing just fine. The tech giant's parent company, Alphabet, reported revenue of $46.17 billion for the three months during ending in September, a 14% increase from the same period last year, highlighting its continued dominance even while facing numerous obstacles. The company also reported net, inc net income for the third quarter of $11.2 billion, blowing past analyst estimates. Google stocks rise more than 8% in after-hours trading on Thursday. Quote, we had a strong quarter, consistent with the broader online environment, Sandra Picard, CEO of Alphabet and Google, said in a statement. It's also a testament to the deep investments we've made in AI and other technologies. Thursday's earnings report mark a strong turnaround from the previous quarter when Alphabet posted its first revenue decline in history as online and spending pulled back in early days of the pandemic. In the third quarter, however, Google advertising revenue jumped nearly 10% year-on-year while searching, while search advertising revenue grew 6.5% and YouTube ad revenue surged 32%. The blockbuster earnings reflect broader-based growth led by an increase in advertisers spent in search and YouTube as well as a continued strength in Google Cloud Play and uh, Google Cloud and Play, Alphabet CFO Roth. Porter said in a statement, we, we remain focused on making the right investments to support long-term sustainable value. The earnings came a day after Picard faced hours of questioning from lawmakers along with the CEOs of Facebook and Twitter over their content moderation policies and accusations of political bias. Picard defended his company's handling of content as it approaches its work without political bias full stop. Quote, to otherwise would be to contrary to other business interests in our mission, which compels us to make information access to every type of person no matter where they live or what they believe, he added. Google also was hit with antitrust lawsuits by the U.S. Department of Justice last week, the largest case against a tech company in more than two decades when Microsoft was sued. The Justice Department alleged that Google was stifled competition to mainstream its power position in the marketplace for online search and search and search advertising. Google refuted these accusations, criticizing the lawsuits as deeply flawed. Well, people use Google because they choose to, not because they force to, or because they can't find alternatives, Google Senior Vice President for Global Affairs, Ken Walker, wrote in a blog post. Picard echoed the same sentiment during the Thursday's earnings call. 
Alrighty, folks, that is all the content that I have prepared for you today for the podcast. My name is Ilya Kelson, and this is the Teenager's Guide to Politics.